Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Today, we're going to talk about how to reset stakeholder expectations when things change at your business. First, let's give some updates about our businesses. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. Cool. What's up this week, Rick? Well, number one is I've announced I'm formally formally announcing my retirement from bachelor parties. From all bachelor parties ever again. At least ones that last more than 24 hours. <laughs> uh, care, to, care to explain why? <laughs> Your bachelor party... I'm still recovering it from it, man. So last uh, last uh, week, Tyler and I um, were both in Montreal with a bunch of your buddies, mm-hmm. and it uh, it was great. It was really fun, um, but it was. I, I now know why most bachelor parties are only a day or two. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a marathon. It was four four days, five days. So yeah, it felt like it felt like a week, <laughs> full week, and I still because I still feel it. How are you feeling? You uh, I'm feeling fine, honestly. I, cause I normally eat fast food all the time and, you know, live that kind of lifestyle anyway. So, uh, I recover I think, a little faster. I think I ate more chicken nuggets and Big Macs on that trip than I have in the last decade. Oh, that's the sign of a good bachelor party. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, did you have fun? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a great time. Was it fun having all your people there? Yeah. It was the first time a number of like, I think this is true of every bachelor party or bachelorette or anything like this. The fun part is these exact groups of people would never really hang out together under other circumstances. So it's fun seeing the mingling. Yeah. I enjoyed meeting everyone. I can see like, I can see why you like all of them individually. And it's, <laughs> it was just cool to just see the different, different people. Um, yeah. but I, I liked them, especially, cool. uh, I, I, I was confused the whole time because apparently there's a guy named Frodo. Yeah. Well, that's but not you guys never name, called, but... called him Frodo. So I thought Frodo was coming. Oh. And he never yeah, showed he, up. He prefers to go by Roman now because Frodo is a dumb nickname. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks for coming. What what else is up? <laughs> um, so t- uh, the the dilemma I'm having right now is I can't tell if I'm just getting tired of of learning to code or if I, I'm getting I have an idea that I could act on right now and it's the right decision to stop focusing just on coding and maybe build it. I have a um, I'm not, I'm not ready to build. I would say what I want to build from a purely code coding standpoint, but there's this huge, we talked about it before, movement around no code. And you're basically using visually based applications and spreadsheets to build an application, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I see a pathway now for the first time to build group currents, membership management platform with no code. And I haven't seen that before. Um, but I, but it would definitely conflict. It, it, I couldn't do that and continue to train for coding. When you say you see a pathway, can can you elaborate on like what you mean? Like what what do you know the I, combination of tools or something? Oh like yeah, that? yeah. So like between, I'm, I'm not going to get the names right, but between Airtable, Stripe, uh, Webflow, mm-hmm. and uh, what's the other one? Memberstack, uh, which is a platform to integrate logins mm-hmm. to uh, Webflow. I can build a membership management website that looks better than most membership management software out there today. So Webflow gives you a way to like pull data in from Airtable 
and like show each user kind of their own dynamic view of stuff. That so MemberStack and Webflow work that out together. MemberStack's the main piece there. I believe MemberStack takes in an Airtable to make the database part work. I'm not positive, but that's the stack, I think. I I feel like as no code things become more powerful, it's going to end up being more complicated to set up a no code app than it is to just code it. Maybe not if you don't know how to code already, but I think that there, I think being able to build something that's usable and works is, I think that's probably true, but building high quality designs Mm -hmm. you're with one person who doesn't know how to code. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with Webflow with template templates and not knowing any, hardly any CSS. Yeah. No. Yeah. Webflow is great. I love it. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, I, I guess my dilemma is what should I do? I, I, I don't know. I, I get, I'm getting pulled to the no code stuff, but I'm still staying disciplined with doing my coding every day. Well, how long would it take you to just like test out the no code thing? Like if you spent a week on that, would you be able to validate that it, it's actually doable? What you, what you want to build? I've already done that. Oh, I know it's doable. Okay. So if how long would it take you to make it good enough that you think you could sell it to someone that's not one of your consulting clients? I don't know that. But my, my hypothesis is probably between 30 and 60 days. It doesn't seem like that big of a risk to say take 30 days or t- take two weeks, go all in on that. And then if it's not going well, go back to coding. feels like I'm giving up on something that I committed myself to for the rest of the year. Yeah, but I mean, pride is pride ruins everything. I, I hear what you're saying, and I want you to learn to code because I think it's a good thing to know. But like, if that's not helping you achieve your goals. Well, right now, co- learning to code is a goal. Okay. So that's not uh, helping you achieve your objectives. My, well, my objective (laughs) is is ultimately to know whether or not I need to hire a co-founder, technical co-founder or outsource development. And so there is like the no code has limitations just because no code can, can help me with the group current application. You know, that doesn't mean that it's going to solve the core problem I'm trying to solve. So I, I think I've answered my question. I need to continue down the coding path and then maybe I reduce it by 25% and put that 25% into playing with no code once a week. Yeah. But I guess, so with coding, you act, you know, you have the goal of doing it with no code. I think it's less about a goal of achieving something and more about validating. Like it, it's continuing on hoping you hit a fork in the road where you can either say, I'm going to go all the way in on no code or I'm going to abandon it. But and really, you're just trying to make that decision right now. Yep, and I, I think I think you're right. I need to do some. I need to stick with coding, but I would think I would feel a lot better if I could do enough on the no code platform to 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 estimate how long it would take and the hours I would, would be required, so that that's on the shelf ready to go whenever I have time to take it on. Yeah, it's worth pointing out. Even if you if you're building the the front end UI stuff in Webflow. You can take all that and apply it to your coded stuff. Like that's not the the front end will be very similar either way. Totally, It'll, at very least, it will be a prototype. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that's that's what I'm up to. What about you? Uh, yeah, two bigish updates, or not that big, but uh, one is I keep talking about this redesign. We keep inviting more and more people. So we we sent out uh, last time we talked. I said we were going to send a beta test invite 
for this new version of our software out to the the full newsletter. The newsletter's like I think 14,000 people or something, only 4,000 of whom are customers maybe. You pointed out why are you sending it to the whole group? And I said, because it's the newsletter. Anyway, what we ended up doing is just sending it the invite to the European users because that's about 10%. um, And we send them a different newsletter anyway. So uh, 10% of our newsletter has been invited to the beta test. We now have about 400-ish users on it. So that's cool. We're inching along towards actually launching this. So what what was the funnel on the European newsletter? How many people is that? And how many people actually took action? Uh, I'd have to look into it. I think it, I think we got about 50, we got about 50 people who opted in. The thing I'm not sure of is some of these are like individual users and some of them are company accounts. So I don't have a good report on how many total users was that, but uh, I think about 50 people out of, I think 400 active users probably. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, That's very rough estimate. It could be different from that, but did did everything go as planned? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the product isn't done yet. So when we invite them, we're like, be ready for some rough edges. But what I'm looking at is how many people switch back. And I think only maybe three people switch back to the old version, um, which I feel reasonably good about. And yeah, we're getting feedback. This could be better. That could be better. But at this point, it's every time new people join, like a new group gets invited, it's smoother. Like we hear less feedback, we less complaints, just people go in and start using it. And that's mostly because our developers are getting closer and closer to having it ready. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. It'll, it'll still be a couple months before it's like 100% actually ready. But the big milestone I'm really looking forward to is when it's good enough that we're, we're going to switch new signups over to the new version. So we'll still have current customers on the old one. But once new people are going to the new one, that th- at that point, I'm going to really be happy. That's great. Yeah, and then the other thing we're, uh, that's coming up for me next week, we're having our second user conference. So we have about 60 people flying in or some driving, some flying into St. Louis. Uh, we have like a little small conference center thing rented out and we're, we're putting on a conference. <laughs> are, are, you, uh, are you speaking? Yes, I'm doing a, I think what's called, being called a keynote, but like the like, for everybody, here's what we're doing on the... Pro- I'm basically giving a product talk at the beginning of it. And then I'm doing a talk on all the software we use internally that's not our own software. Like most of the talks are how to use less annoying CRM effectively. I'm giving a talk on how to use Trello and Slack and Gmail and everything else. Are you going to be on the stage and then have a mic that like kind of comes around like a football helmet? And then are you, are you also going to have this huge screen behind you that oh. has a picture of you on it? Totally, totally. I, I think this is such a professional thing. Uh, I think someone went to Sam's Club and bought a projector yesterday. So that's what we're... <laughs> nice. We're, we're going to... No, it's going to be a small projector screen. Uh, no stage, I think. Nice. Well, that's fun. Are you nervous yeah. about it? Uh, not about the talks at all. I'm I'm... I'm fairly fine with public speaking about something I'm comfortable with and the product I designed is something I'm comfortable with. Uh, more nervous just talking. To, we, this is the second time we've done this. Talking to customers is an amazing experience. Uh, mo- for the most part, they're really, really positive. But it's scary because it's like a lot of people see, oh, the CEO of this product I use for eight hours a day is standing there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go like really give them every idea I've ever had about the product. So it's awesome, but it's also a lot of information coming in. Yeah, that's that's the good part though too, right? Yeah. Well, and what I did last time, which I'm planning on doing this time, last time I was like, here's the deal, everybody. 
the the problem I'm thinking about right now is what I forget what it was at the time. But like, here's the next prod uh, product thing I'm designing. If you come up and talk to me, I'm just going to ask you questions about this. You can you can say other stuff too, but like, be prepared for me to pick your brain about this. So I'm going to do that this time, where I'm going to say, pretty soon we're going to launch a second product. It's going to have new pricing. If you come up and talk to me, I'd love to talk to you, but that's what I'm going to want to talk about. Basically. Yeah. So basically, if if I talk to you, you have to talk to me about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a, in sales, we call that an upfront contract. Huh. Never heard that term. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, uh, maybe we should dive into the topic here. Do you want to intro it? Sure. I'll, I'll do my best. So, um, in terms of framing the problem. In, in life, changes happens all the time, and that's especially true at the workplace. Once you've been in business more than a couple of years, usually, well, even in the first year, lots of things that you thought were true are no longer true, and you have to change your mindset around what the truth is mm-hmm. and what's going to happen next as a result of that. And when you're on your own as a solo entrepreneur or your early founder, you just have a couple of people that are all you know, working pretty well together can be pretty easy to make those changes happen because there's, you know, the people in charge are able to make the decisions necessary to change their expectations. When you grow and you have multiple hands in the pot at different levels, uh, and it's been a longer period of time uh, investment, you get to this place where resetting expectations is critical um, when a change happens, but it gets a lot harder. It gets mm-hmm. a lot more emotionally complex it gets a lot more complex just from sheer volume. Um, yeah, different stakeholders who all want different things, and they they think they know what you're doing, and and things change. Yeah, multi-dimensional complexity um, increases over time, and so um, it, it, this applies to you know employees, partners, board members, investors. I mean, even at home, I like this. I, when I was <laughs> thinking about how to frame this problem, I was thinking, well, this is a Sable and Rick. You know, say was my wife. Uh, you know, th- we deal with this. Constantly, especially in our first year of marriage, where we're trying to talk about when do we have kids, uh, what's our budget for certain things, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I got fired like a week before our marriage, right, from my <laughs> CEO job, and, and so it's it's one of those things. It's like that had to go through a lot of expectation changes, um, but the, you know, mostly what I want to talk to you about is dealing with this at work with the stakeholders that you deal with. Um, at uh, specifically a nonprofit. So at Group Current, um, we focus on helping member-based groups reach sustainability. Most of these groups are nonprofits. Um, by design, most of our customers or, or nonprofit customers come to us because they've actually not been successful um, sustaining themselves. So it's, I don't want to say it's a shit show, but it's a it's not a good situation. Yeah. Right? And so to, to clarify, like sustaining themselves, you're saying they start out where they're getting donations from various places, but it's a one time donation. They can operate for a while. What they want is like an actual business model that they can count on. And, and that's what they come to you to help with. Yeah. And donations can be sustainable if you have a, a way of predicting them and and continuing to receive them. But um, there's this. You know, when we were starting Group Current and deciding whether or not we wanted to be in this business, the thing that got me really excited is I discovered this problem that nonprofits often face, and it's not too different from from a lot of uh, founding founders, serial entrepreneurs, in my opinion. Um, they get stuck in a situation. The situation is called the organization star- organizational starvation cycle. 
some people call it the nonprofit starvation cycle, but I, I like organizational because I think it applies to more than just nonprofits. It starts with some unrealistic expectations from founders. Um, and in a nonprofit world, founders are, are called funders because generally the founders just provide the money and some guidance at the board level. They don't do the, the work. Um, uh, a lot of times what they do is they hire a managing director or bring on some fellow board members to help run it. And they have super, super high expectations, unrealistic expectations. Those people that they hired feel a significant amount of pressure to conform to those expectations, which leads to either overworking, which leads to burnout, um, or it leads to, uh, you know, kind of fudging certain accuracy of things, whether it's, you know, maybe not saying the, you know, omitting something when it should be said or rounding up when it should be rounded down. You know, mm-hmm. these, uh, you know, I, I, I speak to this stuff sensitively uh, because it is sensitive, but it leads to bad behavior. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which in turn to, to meet those expectations and which in turn leads to more unrealistic expectations because you're not dealing with the problem, which is unrealistic expectations. So um, this cycle typically continues from the early days until it reaches a point of like a breaking point, which one of two things happen. Either there's no money and management gets fired and the nonprofit gets into the zombie land of what do we do next? Uh, Maybe they shut down. Most of them just kind of live without doing much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Or the management goes, screw you guys. I can't do this anymore. I quit. And the, you know, the, the, they've got a, there's some actual thing, good things going on, but no one there to do the things, um, anymore. Um, so anyway, I guess to be successful at group current, our clients are going to come to us because they've been in the situation, which is extremely complex emotionally. Um, you got funders, you put a lot of money into it. You've got former people who have worked at the company who probably didn't feel like they were treated the right way. It's, It's extremely complex. Right. And, in order for us to be successful, we've got to be really good at coming in and resetting those expectations and getting all the stakeholders, the fund, the founders, the board members, any employees that are currently working there, any do- current donors or mm-hmm. community partners, all these, any customers on the same page with what to expect going forward. And so, uh, you know, I th- those expectations could be mission you know, vision values. It could be business model. It could be, Hey, you know, board members, you got to start doing work now. Like you can't just sit like, if we, you know, roles are changing. Um, and, um, so I, I, you know, I, we're dealing with this with one of our clients. Um, I, I, I am, we're very happy with our customer. This isn't a, uh, you know, this isn't a talk about how, how much the situation sucks. It's just, there's a reality of the situation where the organization, um, has gone through different, renditions and it hasn't gotten yet to that place of sustainability and it's not there yet even with the work yeah. that that we've done so far so i guess well, um go ahead well so i was just gonna say i i like this topic because i we're gonna talk about it specifically in your case but this applies very much to the topic of the podcast which is start up to last because this happens to so many companies it happens to mine at less knowing crm where you get started in every business especially if you raise money you're you're thinking I'm going to be the the biggest company in the world five years from now, ten years from now, and sometimes that happens very very rarely. But a lot of the times you could still run a successful business, but it's not going to be the next Google. 
but a lot of companies die because they never change their expectations. They never reset this. And so I've had this personally where it's like several people at the company weren't cool with our slower growth. And, you know, whether it's customers or employees or founders or investors in other cases, this happens to almost every business as well. So I think a lot of this will be applicable to anyone listening. I agree. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I would say that a lot of times when you're in this situation, it's easy to get impatient with other people because getting on the same page is ugly. It mm-hmm. is it is classic sausage making. You, you like the outcome, but you don't want to see it getting made. <laughs> and uh, so I, I want to be as we're talking about this, I want to be sensitive to how if anyone listens to this, that's part of the, you know, the community that we're working with. Just let's be sensitive to to those feelings. I And I, I'm, I will do my best to do that. Um, so I'd like to get your thoughts on where to start solving this problem, uh, what mm-hmm. to do, what not to do, especially. Um, yes. And when to, I guess at what point, at some point, like if you can't get everyone on the same page, maybe it's not worth it. And mm-hmm. how do you know when you should give up? Yeah. So let's start with the stuff that maybe won't apply directly to you, but because um, c- you're coming in after things already need to change. But a lot of people find themselves in this situation where the, the easiest way to handle it is to, for it to never happen in the first place, which I think the most classic example is two founders that don't talk about expectations between them at the beginning. So you start a company, who's the CEO, for example? Um, that's just a classic one. I think that it's too late in the like you wouldn't get hired by these organizations if they had done that from the beginning, maybe. Or, but a lot of people should just go into saying, Let's talk about everything we know will come up at the beginning and make sure we're on the same page. Do you agree with that? I think it's one approach. I think if you have the right people, uh, the right two people that, that you don't have to think it through all those things. I, like, like my, like I ultimately was really nervous. My wife is Mormon, right? And I'm not. And one of the scariest things about marrying someone, probably anyone, but especially for me was, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for if we have kids? And I found myself like we were talking about getting married and getting engaged. And I found myself constantly trying to ask every single question. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that, oh man, I just trust this, so, this person so much that. Yeah. I'm going to disagree day, with you there, man. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like I, I had gotten, I knew, and I knew that, sh- that we could work through, we talked about enough things and we're on the same page about the things that were, were important that I was able to close the book on further questions and just go, okay. we'll work it out. So I guess if you've talked about enough things that like, let's talk about first principles here, right? If you have the same fundamental values and you can derive every other decision from that, then sure. Um, a lot like to use the marriage analogy, a lot of people go into that not knowing, for example, is the other person in debt? What does the other person think about kids? Or maybe you know what they think about kids, but you think they're going to change their mind. Um, I know several people who have been divorced over things like this. I'm engaged right now. And we're like in the process of getting a prenup and everything like that. And people say like, don't you trust her? And it's like, everyone trusts the person they're marrying and Tyler, 40% of them get divorced. <laughs> Tyler, it's that she doesn't trust you. Yeah, that's true. It's really the other way around. <laughs> Sorry, Shelly. <laughs> but, but no, uh, but the point is every organization starts with in a happy place. Everybody thinks, oh, I trust them and all that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't partner with someone in the first place if you didn't trust them. But we know it often goes wrong. There are, you're right. It's when you start a relationship with someone, um, if you want it, to, if you're going to be, if you're going to go into any form of partnership, you've got, there's some core questions you got to answer starting with, you know, what, what do we value? 
Be, mm-hmm. Like behavior values are really important to me. For example, um, there are other types of values, whether that's financial values or you know how we th- how you think about how much time you're putting into the company um, mm-hmm. from a work life balance, um, those sorts of things. I totally agree. Yeah. Okay, great. So we don't need to harp on that because it, it it'll vary from person to person, and it doesn't apply to your situation exactly. But th- I think that's the starting point. It does in a way, right? Like so in the in, in the in a way. I'm coming, we're coming into a situation, group current is coming into a situation where, um, there are old mission statements. There are old vision statements. They're mm. all, there probably are some old behavior values. Pro- a lot of these things probably got discussed at some point in time, but that's gone through enough iterations to where none, nothing is clear. Um, at least it's not written down. If it is, yeah. if it's clear to other people, maybe it's just not written down. So it's almost like we do have to start from scratch. Well, so that's actually, that's great because one of my favorite tricks for this, because believe it or not, I've done this a lot over the years of Lesson Wing Serum, because once again, it's not that our uh, values started out misaligned. It's that mine changed and someone else's didn't or vice versa. One of the things I really have found useful is reference the old ones and in a way that doesn't hurt anyone's feelings, almost make fun of them. Like in, in my case, it's easy because I wrote all the old documents. So if I'm making fun of them, I'm the victim of that. But like you know, we have things that are like, oh, you know, if we're at a billion dollars in revenue, here's what things might happen. And now it's comical. We're never going to be at a billion dollars in revenue. I find it helpful to say that out loud. Everyone gets a chuckle and be like, okay, we know that that's wrong, right? And so that doesn't say anything about what the new expectations are supposed to be. But can we all agree that the state of the world, the reality is not what this vision statement from five years ago says. And that's like a starting point here. What do you think about that? I just, I don't know where the vision statement is. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, there's, there, there, in this situation there, it, I don't know that, um, I, I don't know that anyone could, if I went around the table and said, what's our vision, what's our mission, I'd probably get, you know, I think there's five board members. Mm-hmm. There's probably be five different statements. Well, that's great. So may, maybe that's a different, uh, like a permutation on what I said, which is, like before starting to say, let's change expectations and all that, you can start by saying, we don't even have expectations now, right? You could survey all five people, anonymize it a little bit and say, look, can can we all agree that it's a problem that when I asked this question of five people, I got five different answers? I think that there is agreement already on that. Oh, there is agreement. Okay. But uh, okay. If someone else is going through this process, maybe that's yeah, a, a yeah. place to so, start. Okay. So yeah, I think that's a great place to start. Getting everyone on the same page that the problem is we're not on the same page. Yeah. Okay. And so then that's actually the, I think pretty easy because generally people are like, yeah, I think where it gets harder is there are some strong opinions uh, that, that have to be worked. I guess getting everyone on the same page that we need to work through something. Mm-hmm. I haven't found any hard problems with that, but maybe other people do. It's, it's how to, how to get them on the same page. Once everyone agrees, we got to get on the same page. So I have had troubles, troubles with that. I, I, okay. I think cause you're, you wouldn't be brought in if they hadn't already reached that conclusion. But I do think there was a step where probably some people had not come to terms with it and some people had. And so anyway, once again, we don't need to dive into that, but if you're in a situation where that doesn't happen, I think you need to be delicate about first getting everyone on the same page. There's a problem. You're right, actually. That was a good challenge because we, we're six months into this. Mm-hmm. We couldn't have this conversation six months ago, <laughs> right? So th- there's been a lot of work to get to the point where there's something new here. It's different. It's worth taking the time to get on the same page now. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, four months ago, maybe it was still a hypothesis and wasn't worth 
trying to get on the same page. Yeah. Okay. So you're at this point where everybody agrees we're not on the same page and we need to be. Now, there, there's two problems here, at least. One is what should the decision be? And then the other one is like, if we know that decision, how do we get everyone on that page? It, I, it sounds like you want to talk more about the second one here. Like not about how do we decide what the path should be. So I think uh, in this situation, Group Current has come up with a new path mm-hmm. and we've proven that that path is likely, it, it has potential to be viable, right? We have, that's the membership-based model. We went from no membership-based model to membership-based model. Um, so a model where people are donating random amounts of money, you're partnering with businesses that sponsor you, whatever, to a model where all of the members of the community pay a, a regular fee and that sustains them. Yes. And then there are community partners who pay as well, but it's a, they're all, it's a recurring model. It's not a one-time campaign. There's no, there's no donations. It's all fee yeah. for service. Okay, great. So you've got the model figured out. And now I imagine the situation you find yourselves in, there's different stakeholders. Some of the stakeholders totally align with this new model. Some of them probably could align, but it ruffles their feathers a little, or they just need to get in the right headspace. And probably some people, there's not even a role for them in this new model. That's fair. Who, who those um, people are, I, I don't, I'm not clear on. And it could be, it could be that everyone just needs clarity and mm-hmm. they're going to all be great. Or once they have clarity, they might say, this isn't for me anymore. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I'm going to keep jumping back to my anecdotes because that's what I know. But yeah. so we ran into the situation where we went from, you know, we were growing 10 X per year, five X per year, like really high growth, which is easy when you're small. Right. And then you get bigger and we went down to, okay, we, we grew 35% this year. Two of the very early members of the company, people we referred to as partners, sort of like late stage co-founders, basically, they just weren't like, it took us two years to realize this, but what it turned out was neither of them were compatible with this other model. Everyone else at the company was, right? So I don't know if you have people like that and you probably, it would not be professional for you to say who any of them are, but like anytime you're doing this kind of change management thing, some people, the, the healthiest thing for them to do is just leave. And that's what happened in my case. And it was for the best. Fair enough. I, I don't disagree with you. I guess my hope is that everyone can make, make it through the change. Okay. So I don't think there's anything interesting to talk about for the people who are totally aligned. So that means the interesting thing are the people who can survive this, but might there might be some, some bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right to yeah, you? Yeah, I would say that I see, I know what it looks like on the other end of this, but it's, this isn't something I'm excited to go tackle. It's, this is a very messy thing. And so I, I, I think what would be a success for me today is if I, if I could walk out of here with like, here's step one, here's maybe like, here's the order of events and don't worry about steps three, four, and five, just focus <laughs> on step one right now and getting to step two. That would make me feel really good. Okay. So, I mean, do you, do you already have a sense of this? Like, like one thing I'm curious about is do you, do you know who the, have you identified who the people are that might need a little smoothing out here. I, I think I think the reality is that everyone does, myself included, mm-hmm. where we haven't been we we've it's a non it's a small non nonprofit. The people who are involved are passionate about what what the organization has done in the past and what has been done, but there's a limit of time that people can put into it. So I mean everyone being in the same room talking has happened twice in the last six months, maybe three times. How often is it supposed to happen? Once a quarter. So that makes sense. But when you're going through change, the, the status, like the minimum isn't enough. You have to talk a lot more. So, so right now- Or you have to remove people from the decision-making process. That's, that's fair. 
That's fair. I don't think uh, in this particular situation, I don't, I don't think moving people out of the decision-making process will work. Given okay. the nature, Do you think of the there's a way to get more people involved in the decision making. Yes, process? And, and I think it's te- now is the time. The question is how to do that. Just recognize uh, that you kind of said that the decision's been made, though, right? You know what the path is. It's about aligning people with that path. I am not in the group. Current is a service provider here. We are mm-hmm. not in the position of making. Okay, this decision. you know what it is, but not necessarily. We have a recommendation consensus to the that. client of like, hey, this is this is what we believe should be you know, the, the, the focus going forward. Um, we have identified that, that, that one of the drags right now is that not everyone's on aligned around one. This is, we haven't made this clear. So problem solved there. I guess that's okay. what I need to do. I just answered so the like question. Step one is go make, go make clear to everybody. Yeah. Well, even I'm to sorry, ourselves, let's... like group current hasn't okay. written this down and shared it with the group. So that's the first step is write yeah. down. Let's, let's be even more specific. So write down, Here's the deal, everybody. We've identified the problem is if you asked five people for whatever, the five people would give different answers. What we need to do is get one answer to that that we all agree on. That's step one. And then like, by the way, we at Group Current have a proposal for what we think that is, but th- that's going to be, a, you, you want to present that in a more careful way, right? Yeah. And I'm, and I'm realizing that that should happen in a smaller group first, uh, yeah. not, not to the whole group. I, I, I don't think it'll be productive. Can I ask for a summary? Who are the stakeholders here? Like I maybe individuals who are most important, but then like groups of people. Yeah. So there's an original founder. Then there's a, a kind of a secondary founder who came on later, but has put a lot of money behind it. Then there's the former person who ran the organization uh, for a long time. And then there's a new chairperson. Um, and then there's someone else who ha- I haven't spent much time with, but appears to be on there more as like a financial advisor type role. Okay. But this is like the board of that's the board. Okay. Yeah. And so and five people, five people. And I should okay. also note that the chairperson recently changed. So the new chairperson is very motivated to create, cl- like create clarity for, you know, herself and then also for the organization. Okay. Who hired you? Like, do you have an ally or something? Yeah, like there's that? there's a lot of allies. So I, I wouldn't say that anyone is not an ally. And I, I just I think that the constraint we're operating here isn't there. This isn't a situation where we're going against enemies. Mm-hmm. This is a situation where we're going against limits of time, and you have to use everyone's time in order to get shit done and get approved because everything's a board decision right now. It's not a yeah, current yeah. decision. It's getting I, I got you. It's getting people to the point when they're together that they can make a decision. Okay, so you've got five people on the board. Those are ultimately the decision makers. Who are other stakeholders you're concerned with when it comes to this kind of change process? The number one for me is our our members. Um, I, you know, we David and I have, especially David, has used a lot of his personal capital, you know, to, and by capital, it's more like brand cap personal brand capital to bring people on board and connect people. Yeah. You've and told people we're making this change to the organization. Trust us that this is going to work. Yes. And so I guess the scary thing is is that and maybe this is what's causing it to be emotional for David and I a little bit is, you know, will this like if this doesn't go like it we think it like we think it can and should what are we going to tell our mem- the people who trusted us if it doesn't go mm-hmm. well? 
Yeah. And that's probably to pull this back to a more generic version. Like that's probably always an issue with any kind of setting expectations and aligning people. Like you wouldn't be having these conversations at all if nothing was changing. And you like, that's one of the joys and also terrifying things about entrepreneurship is you care. You're, you're putting yourself out there and sometimes you're going to be wrong. Yep. And you care. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that's the part, like when you don't care, like one solution is just don't care as much, right? Yeah, which plenty of people do. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's I, hard. I, I have yeah. a really hard time doing that. So that's not a solution for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway. Uh, okay, so you've got the members, what, 100, 200 of those? Yeah, about 140, 130. 140, okay. Any other groups of stakeholders that- Par- uh, There's mentioning? partners. Um, let's just call it roughly 10 of those, ranging from community partners, which are like municipalities and chambers of commerce, to- um, you know, like a perk partner who are consumer products for like that want to target entrepreneurs mm-hmm. or service providers that want to target okay. businesses. And they're paying some, uh, some amount of money beyond just a normal membership. Correct. Yep. Okay, cool. Is that the, that's the, the whole group, the, the board, the members, the partners. Yeah. And I guess, um, the one that I guess that I, the, the, the stakeholder group that I'm I, I think we have to acknowledge exists, but I don't know much about them is the legacy employees, board members, and donors of the organization and what they expect out of it. And then there's also, uh, I would say, the larger entrepreneurial community in Park City that mm-hmm. are, is watching and and on the edge of being joining or, you know, maybe they aren't part of the organization, but they are pro- proponents of the organization. Yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know if this is necessarily what makes sense for you, but what I, what I would just say is a general framework for this normally, you've got different stakeholders, and this will be true at any business, right? You've got customers and employees and founders and stuff, is I'd say, ultimately, who's going to make the decision? And in your case, it's easy. That's the board. And then, like, whose interests are you actually trying to align? So, like, one way you could view this is, what I want to do is really take care of the members, but I need to get the board to see that that's what needs to happen. A different way to do this would be to say, I want to do whatever the board wants because they're employing me. I want to, and then I need to like soften that message to the members so that they're cool with it. It's not, I'm a customer guy. So Mm -hmm. I'd rather get terminated, you know, and fired. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then not do what's best for the customer. And in this case, the customer is the members in my mind. That's the, that's the core customer. So, and that's what you're, you say you have the plan that you want. You need to get the board on, on board with it, but I, w- I don't think it's just uh, just the plan that I want. I think it's, it's a plan that group current has made progress on and that many, uh, the board probably doesn't fully understand collectively, mm-hmm. but if they did, would probably be pretty excited about it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I guess when I say the plan you like, it's the one you don't need to have your expectations reset. They're set. You need to get everyone on the same page. Correct. Okay. So the, the point of this is not, I guess, technically, how do you convince a board of directors to be on your side? It's how do you reset expectations? Meaning everyone has all these expectations that were bad or that not bad, but like no longer correct. There's going to be a sometimes painful transition to the reality of how things are now. How do you basically, how do you break that to them? How do you walk them uh, through that journey until they're living in reality? Yep. And how do we do it with, you know, with significant time constraints and 
let's recognize that these are successful people, busy people, powerful, like, uh, they're, they're ape type personalities. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, I guess doing it without causing problems for people. So in this case, since there's five board members and those are the people that really need to have their expectations reset, it seems to me like this is a one-off thing, which may be different from like, I have this group of 10,000 customers and I need to do send a marketing message to them. You can probably tailor each like you're resetting each of the five people separately potentially right because you said they all have five different sets of current expectations so i would say some i would say they're not everyone's i think looking the right direction but mm-hmm. you know what, at what like level they're looking at is yeah. slightly slightly different so i i wonder what you think would it work to basically say let's figure out where they all are right now and then basically do a delta. What's the difference between that and what, what Rick, what you see, and then kind of put a plan together for each one on how do we get them from point A to point yeah, B? Yeah, so let's so kind of recap. Step one is clarify what it is that we want the world to look like and what we what want everyone to be on the same page about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to maybe go into like what that should include uh, if we have time. Second is uh, figure out where everyone else is relative to that and who is – the closest aligned and who is really far apart. And then third would be work through, you know, probably the closest first (laughs) to get an ally. Yeah. Uh, You know, and, uh, and, and work together as you add more people to, to get the other, Mm -hmm. to close the gap with the other people. Yeah. And so I think we should talk about the third, but earlier you said what you really want from this is one takeaway. It sounds to me like the next thing you do is you do a basically not a survey, but a lay of the land. Where do the five people stand right now? Do you agree that that would be a productive next step? Not more productive than clarifying on a page what it is that well, okay. David and I have. So like that's cool. I would say that's a that's the second thing. That's the second step. That's the second step. Okay. Um, and I would do both of those pretty quickly. Cool. So we've got maybe 10, 15 minutes here. Would you rather dive into the clarifying step or jump into that third one, which is once you know where everyone is and you know what your vision is, how do you reset the, their expectations there? I think the the part that, well, I, I think it would be valuable to go through details on what we need to cover in this. Um, I think the hardest part is not going to be that. It's going to be when there's conflict Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get it's you're, you're hitting that sort of, you know, we're not on the same page moment um, that can sometimes get emotional. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? Yeah. OK, so let's talk about that. Let's keep in mind here, because we haven't totally finished the first two steps, we can only speak in, in vague terms here. So normally what we like to do is speak very specifically and then hopefully draw big picture concepts from it. We can only talk in the big picture here, but let's do it. Um, my initial reaction to this is I'll say, and I'm probably not very good at this, but I focus so much on pointing out the problems versus trying to push the solution. I think people like get really defensive if you're like, no, this is what we should be doing. And it's harder for them to get defensive. If you say, do you disagree with my characterization that, that the state of the world you're describing has problems? Do One you know of the I mean? challenges, so yeah, so that's the approach we've tried to take to date, but there is some emotion, there, there's some defensiveness around pointing out historical problems mm. around the table. And that's the emotional complexity of this that I was talking about earlier. 
if you're trying to be really political and I am not suggesting this at all, but you could like try to blame it on other people. Like you could each person you talk to be like, oh, it's this other person's fault. It's <laughs> no can, one's no, fault. No. But <laughs> no, no, and, and please, no one out there do that. It's just it's just <laughs> no, it's that's not right. Uh. But but there is something there's a trick. Uh, what I just said was a little too sleazy, but there's a trick where if you say some something to someone like uh, most people are terrible drivers, they'll be like, yep, yep, yep. What you really mean is, hey, Rick, you're a terrible driver. Um, y- you can you can get people to be less defensive by being like, you're on my side and we're complaining about not not any specific person, but the general population, you know? Yeah, I, I, what I'm taking away from what you're saying is I I need to be thoughtful about framing the problem. Like, yes, we start with the problems, right? But I need to be thoughtful mm-hmm. about how I frame them so that they're general, generalized problems that don't cause offensiveness. Mm-hmm. And then that that's, you know, that is actually the, you've identified the core problem. The thing that I'm running into, I'm most worried about is mm. we can't talk about the problems because they're so emotional. And therefore, because we can talk about the problems, you can't really talk about the solutions and yeah. get on the same page with solutions. And I actually, that is the problem we run into is we can't talk about the problems because everyone has emotional reaction to them. And this, I think this happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've I've run into this many times for sure. And you know, how do you get to talking about the problem? Get past that emotion and getting to you know everyone to agree that this is the problem. Once you get to a problem, solutions are easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this is not a productive comment, but let me just say to everybody: like one thing that I've done in my career that I've found like leveled me up from when I was less experienced is not is I'm I'm not saying I'm perfect with this, but I'm less defensive of my old actions than I used to be. Now, that's not something you have control over here, Rick, but just everyone, if we can all just try to be like, yeah, I did something five years ago, I can admit that there were flaws with it. That would avoid a lot of these situations, I think. Yeah. And unfortunately, you you can only control yourself. And when you're trying to get people in this situation to align, you can't always control people's reaction to things. So you've got to predict them. Yep. And be thoughtful of them. So- Obviously, this is going to vary case by case, but what do you do to get someone to acknowledge a problem that they themselves may have been a part of creating, and so it's an emotional and embarrassing thing for them to admit? I can tell you what I normally have done in the past, and it's not the right answer, but it's to basically be like, the problem's more important than your feelings. I'm not going <laughs> to worry about your feelings. I'm going to state the problem. And if you have a reaction to that, that is your problem. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think it's the most productive way to go about it. Yeah. Based on experience. I honestly do not know how to go about this a better way. That's how I deal with things. I talk about the problem very directly. It. I try to be as patient as possible. At some point, I lose my patience and I state the problem very, very uh, on point. And it doesn't go well. Uh, would it be too sensitive for you to state right now what is the problem? Like maybe there's 20 problems, but like, can we pick one and dissect it? Let's just say, um, no, I don't want to. Okay. I think, um, I guess I, I, this isn't that complicated. It's really coming down to thoughtfulness about people, about how people see the world and mm-hmm. people don't see the world like you. And this is, this is actually like, this is what I, my big, one of my biggest learnings from people keep that I constantly face in life. And I, I have to get better at dealing with it. And I think most good leaders figure this out. 
which is people don't see the world like you do. Mm-hmm. Your job is to get them to see it like that. And that takes communication. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it takes patience. Oh, it takes patience. And I think at the end of the day, what, what I have one, I have, I, I, we, we want people to see the world like we do, but we've, we are losing our patience and skipping some important steps around framing this that would make our lives so much easier. Yeah. We're trying to solve the problem without getting everyone on the same page with the problem. And because getting everyone on the same page with the problem requires a lot of effort. Yeah. There's something else here that I, I hear a lot and I try to, I'm, I'm trying to be better about myself that might apply, which is like, there are situations where literally you can't, you can't give everyone what they want. Right. And how do you do, like, that's maybe a more generic version of what you're talking about. It's just, what do you do when two people want two fundamentally conflicting things and you can only do one thing? Uh, and I keep hearing, and it, it keeps being true in my experience, people at the very least want to be heard. And so that might be one thing you can do to soften this a little bit is to say like, okay, you tell me what you think. I'm listening. I'm getting your feedback. But you've got to understand at the end of the day, if you know, we have to, we have to reconcile all this. Not everyone's going to get what they want, but I'm going to listen to every single person. Is there an yeah. opportunity to do that here? I, th- I, I think so. But we're going to run into a problem here where who who is responsible for what and who has the decision making power to I don't I don't think whose role it is of the organization right now is clear enough. Mm. Who who should be doing that is unclear. Who's the person that should be talking to everyone and 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 saying, you know, we're going to have to reconcile this and I'm the reconciler. Yeah, Uh, that's that's I think where it's a little bit sensitive. But I would say group group current is there to be the instigator here. Okay. Board being the decision maker. You're there to be the instigator, board being the decision maker. So like maybe this isn't appropriate in your setting, but in a similar one, it might make sense to say, let's, okay, we already said we're going to figure out what the vision is or whatever. We're going to figure out where everyone stands. We're going to compare the two. You said, let's start with the person with the smallest delta, who's closest to being aligned. Maybe that's a good default person to say, you're on the board. You're as important as anyone else in the organization you need to go do this next step rather than group current doing this next step. That's really interesting. That person would, would likely be, that's a great idea. I would say the only concern with that is again, that time limit thing. Yeah. Um, so, but that's, I think that's the right thing to do and maybe it's not, you're the right person, but it's, we need to go work to get, we need to work together yeah. to get everyone on the same page. What's your role in this and what's ours? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be different every time. But the more people you can get on the team, um, the less I think one reason people get defensive and emotional about this is it's kind of like, is it your place to say this? And the more people, assuming everyone's handling it professionally and all that, the less that objection really makes any sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I I would say that I thought my biggest takeaway was taking action, but I didn't realize what was actually causing me problems. It's it's a it's not getting everyone to see the problems and talk about the problems because mm-hmm. there's an emotional uh, re- reaction to talking about the problems that prevents us from talking about them. And we've got to focus on getting around that. And if yeah. we can't, like, there's no way we're going to solve it. Okay, cool. So um, obviously we have not like resolved this issue. I feel like we've maybe talked about it as much as we can without the next step happening and getting more specific. So do you think maybe we can kind of recap all the different things we're taking away from this? Yeah. So my takeaways are first, uh, 
this happens all the time and situations uh, from personal situations to business situations. And I, you know, oftentimes we go through the motions on this stuff, but it's actually really hard, especially as the complexity of the change um, increases the more, and the more, and that could be based on the more people involved. It could be based on the uh, length of time that has passed uh, going down a pathway, the sunk costs, in other words, mm-hmm. um, it could be complexity around the size of the change um, and what it, what it means personally for individuals involved with the change. And um, anyway, um, the higher the complexity, the more thought it takes. First, you, you got to clarify what it is you want to get people on the same page on. Um, and if you can't do that in writing, don't talk to people about it because you're just, you, you know, it's just going yeah. to confuse it's them. It's like politicians who have absolutely no idea what they want, but they just go up and are like, uh, unity or something like that, right? <laughs> exactly. Second, uh, you know, uh, gauging how far apart you are with the stakeholders that you need to get on the same page. Um, and then probably identifying who is closest, but also there's probably some sort of like who's closest to you, but also who is in the biggest, best position to help you. Um, there's probably some combination of those two things to get good. Yeah. I'd even say like a step before that, like this, this may be obvious to some people, but not to others, like write down on a sheet of paper, who are the stakeholders and do you need to like, how can you communicate with them? If it's a board of directors, one on one by one, every person is different. If it's a customer base, maybe you can segment them in some way, but figure out what level of specificity you can target these people. I totally agree. And let me, I think it's a higher level thing. Like one is write down what you want to get everyone on the same page on. The second is analyze and write down who your different stakeholders are and what their needs are and how, mm-hmm. what their motivations are and how they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, you know, how far apart are they uh, from each other and from, you know, from the, where you want to go. Um, and then third, go start talking to people. Um, and I, and I'm, you know, in this particular situation, it's not a get everybody in the same, in the same room and talk. It's a, let's start with the the first person and then decide once that first person is, is on the same page, how to handle it together going forward. Um, I think I lost you again, didn't I? All right. I think that was you again. Yeah. Uh, what I was hearing was third, go out and start talking to people. So do you yeah, just want to start there? Yeah. So, and, and third, go out and start talking to people in this situation. I don't think it's a get everyone in the same room type of thing. It's a focus on one person mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, get them, get on the same page with them and then decide together with, as a group of, of plus one, uh, mm-hmm. how, how to, how, where to go from there. Yeah. Can I give a little anecdote on that working for me? Yeah. There have been things at at Less Annoying CRM where I was really, like I had an idea and I was really, really nervous about how people would react to it. And what I would do is I'd have one-on-one meetings with people and I'd be like, I I trust this person. They're not going to be the person to flip out about this. Um, And then I just have the conversation, learn from them. And then I, after I had a couple of these, I was like, I think I've refined this enough. Let me ask the next tier of people who aren't going to be. And it, it ended up, I never needed to announce anything because these one-on-one conversations just got everyone aligned. Totally. Totally. And when you have these conversations and people feel part of it, uh, they they end up, end up taking some part of ownership of telling this, of distributing the message. And it makes your job of communication so much easier because mm-hmm. um, you have the buy-in, right? 
So, uh, yeah. And I guess the, the only thing that, that I don't have a takeaway for is when to give up. Um, and I, I think I'm, cl- I, I guess I, what I'm realizing is I, I'm, I, I guess if this doesn't get solved at some point, I'm it's not going to be worth trying to solve. I just, I don't know when that is. Yeah. I think my, what I would say though, is the, the more generic version of this is not get like give up. It's who needs to be removed. And in your case, maybe you Rick need to be removed. Mm. Um, but in some cases, like you're not the CEO in this case, but if you are, instead of giving up on the whole thing, maybe you're like, well, there's two out of five people who aren't on board. This is going to be tough, but it, it's time to get them out of the equation now. Interesting. Yeah. So like if it, yeah, if, if we don't make, but at what point, I guess the question is at what point do you move to that type of conversation? Yeah. So my experience has been, I find, you know, hopefully the people you're working with are reasonable and smart and all that. And if you talk through stuff long enough, you will agree. And if you don't, there's a point where you identify it's not, we're not disagreeing because one of us is right and one of us is wrong. We're disagreeing because we have different first principles. And that to me is when you say there's no changing that we're both right in our own worldview. That means we need to end this. Yeah. Yep. 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 I totally agree. I, I, I'm, I hope that that's not the situation here. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not. I, uh, one other takeaway that I think is probably not what I expected, but I think it's probably the biggest takeaway for me is the, when you can't talk about problems in the organization without getting emotional, you can't solve these problems. And so getting, making it a priority to be able to talk about the real problems without emotion with whatever team you're working on is critical. And Mm -hmm. you can't go bigger than the number of people on the team who can do that. You can't because it's unproductive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, and I I don't know the solution to that. I, yeah, if, if someone's just getting started, if, if they haven't run into these problems yet, you can preempt this though, right? You can start a culture of talking about things unemotionally, no blame assigned. You don't want to start talking about things like that when they're tough, because that's what you're doing right now, sort of, is you're trying to form that trust with people while dealing with the hard situation, whereas it'd be much better if you are already formed that trust with them. Makes total sense, man. Um, well, uh, would you add anything else? No, nope, I think that's good. I really appreciate it, man. That was this. I feel uh, like a weight off my shoulders. I have a, <laughs> cool. I feel I don't feel crazy for what we're going through now. I know it's logical and uh, I have a path forward. So I'm, I really appreciate the time today. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, please contact us via the website or on Twitter. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. We got a couple of, um, of inbound uh, comments last week uh, while we were in Montreal and it, it really made our week. So, um, you know, positive or negative, uh, we'd love to hear from you. That's again, that's startup to last.com. See you next week.